I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we do thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us life through your word, that you reveal yourself, that you show us who you are. God, I pray this morning that you would open our eyes, open our ears to hear what you want to say to us. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you'd guide my words as I speak, that I would speak only your words, that you would guide my thoughts and my words to speak clearly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's a game that my kids like to play, <clears throat> and it's not tag, don't worry. We're not going to do tag this morning, but we're going to do a game together. And this game, what you do is the one person says a word, and then the next person has to say the first word that comes to their mind. So I'm going to allow you guys to go ahead and speak. You can say whatever comes to your mind. You're only going to embarrass yourselves, so don't worry. And I'm going to say a word, and you're just going to say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. Fruit. Let's try another one. Animal. How about car? Prague. Cricket. <laughs> Curious to know how many people pictured an insect and how many pictured a game with a bat and a ball. Depends on where you're from. How about football? Again, maybe some different thoughts. Church. God. There's a quote by an author named A.W. Tozer, and he begins his book, Knowledge of the Holy, with this line. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what should come into our minds when you hear the word or the name God? Well, the best place to look to find out what it should be is in the Bible. When I'm teaching the kids downstairs in Sunday school, the thing I tell them about the Bible is the first thing, the first and most important thing about the Bible is that God wrote it to tell us who he is about himself. The second thing is to tell us who we are so we understand who we are. And so as we look in Scripture, and especially today we're going to look in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, I want you to think about how is God revealing himself to us in this chapter? Now John to me is a really fun book to study because John uses a lot of word pictures and symbols. 
he, uh, he talks about a lot of contrasting ideas and thoughts. And you can kind of divide John into two sections. The first section is all about Jesus' ministry. And then the second section is just about the Passover weekend when he gives himself as a sacrifice for us. In the Bible, the number seven is often used to show completeness or wholeness. And John uses that number quite often. There's actually seven distinct sections in the first half of this book with the ministries of Jesus revealing himself. Jesus uses seven I am statements to tell us who he is in the book of John. And there are seven miraculous signs that Jesus performs in the book of John. But John also uses a lot of recurring contrasts. He talks about things like light versus darkness, day versus night, blindness versus seeing, hearing and deafness, and especially belief and unbelief. And in fact, each of the seven sections in Jesus' ministry, John ends it with a summary of the response of the people, whether they believe or they didn't believe. So as we're looking specifically at John chapter 10 today, just kind of look for these kinds of things. Look for these kind of contrasts and see what you see. Now, I also, in my spare time, uh, enjoy reading. And so this summer, I had gotten into reading a series. I like to read books that have kind of some suspense or maybe solving crimes, you know, things like that. And so there was a series that I found by an author named Stephen James. And in this series, it's all about a a detective. And a lot of times, detectives are trying to find out what is the motive of the crime? Why did the guy do what he did or the woman to commit this crime? But in this case, this detective, he doesn't like to try to find motive. Because in his mind, motive is too elusive. You can never find out what someone's motive is. In fact, we don't even know what motivates us a lot of the time when we do things. And so what he tends to look for is timing and location. And so he'll look at when did this crime occur and where did it occur? And he'll start putting things together to try to figure out who committed that crime. Well, in the book of John... We can look at all these kinds of things. We can look at motive and timing and location, and they become very important to see why Jesus said what he said when he said it. In the book of John, John makes it really easy and really clear what his motive is. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he actually tells us, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are recorded that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Everything he writes in his gospel is for this purpose, so that people would believe, so that people would have eternal life by believing in Jesus. Now also, timing and location are important, because in John 10, Jesus says some things where he reveals himself as the gate of the sheepfold and as the good shepherd that the people that are listening would have known exactly what he was talking about. Because 600 years before, in the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, both of these prophets had prophesied about the bad shepherds of Israel and about the fact that a coming Messiah would come who would be a good shepherd and that God would shepherd his people. And so they've been thinking about this and looking forward to this Messiah coming for many years. And in fact, even before those prophets, King David wrote, Psalm 23 that all of us are pretty familiar with. 
declaring the Lord to be his shepherd. And so this thought, when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, would have been in the people's minds, and especially the people that he was talking to. At the beginning of this chapter, Jesus tells us he's talking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were actually the ones, the same people that back 600 years before, the prophecies were against these bad shepherds, guys that weren't really leading the people in the way that God wanted them to lead. Now, another question is, why would Jesus bring this up about the good shepherd at this particular time? Well, in verse 22 of chapter 10, John tells us that at that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place in Jerusalem. The Feast of the Dedication is what we now know and the Jewish people celebrate as Hanukkah. And it's considered a festival of lights, and it's a celebration. And it's thinking back to the time in 164 B.C., when the temple was desecrated by Antiochus Epiphanes, and then it was rededicated and cleansed. And so this Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, looks at that time, and then especially looks forward to the coming Messiah, when there would be a a rededication of the temple, a final one for them. Now, a lot of the feasts in, uh, in the Jewish culture look back to the time of Moses, and the time when Moses came and God set his people free from Egypt. But this feast is a little bit different because it looks forward to a coming Messiah. And so if this feast was right about to happen, the people would have been thinking this in their minds. You know, their minds would have been caught up with thoughts about this coming Messiah and the hope that's coming. And so Jesus, at the perfect time, comes and says, I am the good shepherd, saying basically, I am the Messiah. I am the one that was prophesied. And so we find that Jesus, no surprise, does everything at the perfect time. So as we look now more carefully at John chapter 10, there are two declarations that Jesus makes. The first one is where he says, I am the gate of the sheepfold. And the second is where he says, I am the good shepherd. So let's start in John chapter 10 and just read the first 10 verses. Very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life. And have it to the full. Now it's important also to recognize that right before this happens, Jesus had healed a man who was blind from birth. And it leads to a big confrontation with the Pharisees. And it, it also shows us one of John's contrasts because he talks about the blind man had his eyes opened not only to see physically, but he was also able to see that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet the Pharisees who had their physical sight the whole time, were blind because they didn't see who Jesus really was. 
So in these first couple of verses of John chapter 10, Jesus gives us a word picture about sheep, shepherd, a shepherd, thieves, robbers. But then he also has all these contrasts about listening, not listening, following, and running away. Well, John 10 verse 5 shows us that uh, the Pharisees didn't understand what he was talking about. So that's where Jesus goes into very clearly saying what he says about himself. I am the gate. So the first thing he says in verse 7 and then again in verse 9 is, I am the gate. And this tells us two important things about Jesus. First of all, that Jesus is the only way for salvation. Jesus doesn't say, I am one of the gates. He says, I am the gate. There is no other way. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter is speaking again to the religious leaders. And he says to them, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. We used to live in South Africa, in Johannesburg. And there was a time when I uh, flew down to go to one of my son's soccer tournaments. And I rented a car in Durban. And then I was going to drive to the hotel and, and be there for the weekend. Well, I got crazy, in a crazy way, I got lost. I left the, the airport, thought I was going the right way, didn't go the right way. And I don't remember if my Google Maps wasn't working or what, but I was lost. I needed someone to help me to know where to go. How do I get to this hotel? And all I needed was someone to point me in the right direction because I was going in the opposite direction. I did end up eventually finding it, but it was a long time. But many of you can probably relate to this. You've had times when you were lost. Either you were wandering, walking somewhere, maybe the streets of Prague, down near Old Town Square, where they wind and cross and go all over the place. Or maybe you're in your car somewhere driving and felt lost. It doesn't help if you're lost for someone to tell you, oh, don't worry, you'll find it, just go any direction, you'll get there. You need someone to tell you, no, this is how you get there. You go this direction. And so in our culture today, it doesn't help people when they're looking for salvation, when they're looking for God, to just tell them, oh, just follow your heart or just, you know, take whatever path you need to take. You'll, you'll get there. That's not helpful to anyone. And it's not loving to anyone. And so Jesus makes it very clear that he is the only way for salvation. But he also makes it clear that Jesus is the only way to the Father. A little bit later in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Again, there are many religions in the world that are looking for a way to God. And Jesus makes it clear that he is the only way. Sometimes I use this illustration with, with the kids too in, in Sunday school and talking about the different religions of the world and how Christianity is different. And so if you imagine a huge mountain, I mean, Higher than you can't, than you, you, there's no way to even see the top. It's so high. And so picture God up there. We're all down at the bottom, and we're trying to find a way. We, need, we know we need to get to the top. We know we need to reach God. But people climb and clamor and try to find a way up, and it never works. They're slipping and sliding and, and never can make it very far. And that's the way a lot of religions are. They're trying to please God, trying to find God in different ways through different actions that they might try to do. But the cool thing is with Christianity, Jesus came down that mountain. He came down to us to rescue us, to bring us up to where God is, to where we couldn't get on our own. And that's what makes it so 
unique and makes it the only way to the Father. So Jesus tells us he is the gate, but Jesus also, in the next few verses, tells us, I am the good shepherd. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then later in verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus gives us five different promises as a good shepherd. The first one is Jesus gives his life that I just read in verses 17 and 18. Jesus willingly gave us his life and then he powerfully took it up again. Only Jesus could do that. A little bit later in John chapter 15, verse 13, Jesus tells us, Greater love has no one than this, but to lay down one's life for his friends. And so Jesus is the only way to the Father, and he does that by giving his life. Secondly, the second promise of a good shepherd is that Jesus grants eternal life. Verse 10 tells us, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then later in verse 28, toward the end of the chapter, he says, I will give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. When Jesus is talking about this life, in John 10 especially, there are actually three Greek words that we translate today in English as life. So the first one is, the word bios. And bios means more about like your manner of life, the way you live your life here on earth, what you do with your life. And it's where we get our word biology, the study of life. The second word is suke. And suke is more about your soul. It's who you are as a person, not just the way you live your life, but who you are inside. It's your soul of your life. And then the third way, and this is what John, Jesus is using here in John 10, is the word zoe. And zoe is not just your physical life, and it's not just your soul, but it's your eternal spirit, what goes on, what transcends just this normal life. And that's what Jesus says, he will give us life, not just a better life here on earth, not improvements and things that help us in this physical life, but eternal life that goes on forever. In John 5, verse 21, he uses this word, the zoe life again. He says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to those he is pleased to give it. And then in John eleven twenty five, 25, another of his I am statements, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's this eternal life. Now what's interesting is in John, uh, in the verses above, in 17 and 18, where he talks about, I will lay down my life, there he uses the word suke. And so there he's talking about, he will lay down his life as it is now for us. But when he talks about his life and what he will give us, it's an eternal life. It goes on forever. So the, that's the second one. The third one, the third promise of the good shepherd is that Jesus gathers his own. In verses 14 and 15, we see this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. There shall be one flock and one shepherd. 
And so Jesus is gathering his own, and he's doing that even now. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus reminds us, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And later in John 17, when Jesus is praying for the disciples, he also says this in his prayer, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And so even today, Jesus is calling. He is calling out to those who will be his own. And so as you listen, I I pray that today, if you haven't listened to Jesus, if you haven't heard his voice calling before, that this would be the day when you listen, when you actually hear what Jesus wants to say to you and calling calling you to him. A fourth way, a fourth promise of the good shepherd is that Jesus guides his sheep. We see this in verses 2 through 5. And then later in verses 14 and 27. In verse 2, Jesus says, The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him, because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him, because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. And then skip down to verse 14. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And then later in verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I still remember I was only two years old when my grandfather, my dad's dad, passed away. Uh, But it's amazing. Sometimes you can just have little snippets of memories, even from that young. And so I remember... My grandpa and grandma lived on a farm in Iowa, in the States, and they had pigs, but they also had sheep. And I remember kind of climbing up some little railroad ties where I could look over and see the pigs, and, see, and then over here they had sheep. But a lot of times the sheep would be out in the pasture. And so this part I don't remember so much, but my dad has told me stories about how my grandpa, at the end of the day, after the sheep had been out in the pasture all day, he would go out to the place where the sheep need to come in, and he would call his sheep. And he had this specific call. He'd go, sheep, 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 sheep. And that was his way of calling, and all the sheep would just start coming toward him and just walk to where they needed to go. And even today, um, if you go to places where they still have sheep and they still have shepherds in Israel and some of the places in the Middle East, you can still see and you can hear shepherds and see their sheep. You know, they'll be guiding their sheep. Even when there are lots of other sheep, they will call out to their sheep and their, only, their sheep only will come to them. And that's the way it should be in our relationship with God. It's a personal relationship where God, through Jesus, Jesus knows us and we should know his voice and follow him. Psalm 23, David had understood this when he said, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Our walk with God should be one where we walk with him, where he guides us. And if you believe in Jesus, if you accepted him as your savior, then his Holy Spirit lives in you. And it's the, the spirit is there to guide you and to counsel you, to bring you along in your spiritual walk. And it's an amazing personal way that Jesus deals with us and guides us. And lastly, Jesus guards his sheep. In verses 28 and 29, he says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. 
No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. When I read these verses, I get this picture of, you know, Jesus kind of holding us in his hand, which, you know, nobody's going to be able to open Jesus' hand. I remember as a, as a father, when you have little kids, you can do that kind of thing where you say, here, try to open my hand. And, you know, they can't pull your fingers apart for anything. But imagine Jesus' hand even more powerful. But then it says, my father also. And so it's almost like two hands holding us, keeping us close to him. In 1 Peter 2.25, Peter says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. And so we can take courage in this. Jesus will never let us go. If you have put your faith in Jesus, and if you have made that commitment to follow him, to be, or to, uh, to believe in him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus will be faithful to the end. He will not let you go. You can have that firm foundation in him. So as we close this morning, the end of chapter 10 the Pharisees actually pick up stones to stone Jesus. They still don't get it. You know, Jesus talks about being deaf. The Pharisees are deaf at this point. They still are not hearing who Jesus really is. They're hearing his words, but there's no understanding. And so they pick up stones to stone him. They still didn't understand. And so the question that we have is, do we understand? Are we hearing? Do we know his voice this morning? And so I want to leave you with this, this question. Do you know in your heart that Jesus is God in the flesh? That he is the God of gods? That he is God Almighty? He is the gate to eternal life. He is the giver of life. He is the glorious Savior. He is the guiltless Lamb. He is the great King. He is the grand Creator. He is the glorified Lord. He is the gentle Sustainer. He is the guardian of our souls. He is the grace giver. He is the generous provider. He is the grave defeater. He is the glory of Israel. He is the guiding light. He is the God of heaven. He is the great I am. He is the good shepherd. So let me ask you again as we close. When you think about God, what comes to your mind? Father, we thank you this morning for just the opportunity to open your word. God, we thank you that you continually speak to us, that you guide us, that you have sent your spirit to be with us, to help us, to comfort us. God, I pray this morning that you would open our ears. Lord, if there are people here who have not believed in you, who have heard your voice, who have heard you calling, but have not responded, Lord, I pray that today would be the day when we respond, when we listen to your voice, when we open our hearts to you and believe that you are God's son, that you are the only way for salvation. I would thank you for all you've done. Thank you that you've died for us. Thank you that you rose from the grave and that you live victorious now. And you are here with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.